1: Hello and welcome to Second Opinion with me, Dr. Christian. This is the pain-free and routine procedure that is guaranteed to make you more knowledgeable in the next 30 minutes than you currently are. Now, I must make it clear, if you feel unwell, you should always seek medical help, either by using the NHS 111 helpline, consulting your GP, or visiting your nearest hospital. Of course, this wouldn't be second opinion without my lovely co-host, Alex Stanger. Alex, how are you?
2: I'm fine. Do you know what? You went a bit northern on that. That's cause you quite good because, I know it's because you are. It was to make you feel I'm at north, home. I, well, you've managed it's to. Make you Thank you, to you feel very at home, much, John, Kristen. I? Thanks.
1: And I'm very, very excited about this week's special guest, who is, and if you've never heard of him, then where have you been? It is the Reverend Richard Coles. I was hoping you'd go parsonical, because it's me. If
0: you're
3: going northern for Alex, you should go, like, parsonical What? What's
1: the accent for parsonical? You oh, no, in a very real sense. Oh, yes. In a very special way. Oh, sort of delivering sermon, like Rowan Atkinson but doing do the you famous do sermon. Do you
3: find that you adapt to the actions of the person you're yeah, talking Yeah, totally. To? Yeah, me too. I'm not sure whether
1: it's a bit racist because I do it with, with other cultures as well. Uh, do you do it with ticks? I try really hard not to, but it's really Really hard, hard, isn't it? It's really hard not
3: to. Oh, a window cleaner did have who had a a, a sort of involuntary wink. Yeah. And I just kept (laughs) winking at him. And he must have talked a bit weird because I don't think he knew he was winking. But I was just winking at him. I couldn't stop myself.
1: (laughs) My father is terrible. I mean, if he's with a sort of cab driver with a really heavy accent. My father will start speaking like this to try and uh, and it's just oh dad please stop doing that. But my dad doesn't isn't aware he's doing it either. I call it empathy. It isn't. I think it's empathetic. But when you're
2: giving your sermons, do you do the posonic? Do you do that kind of voice?
3: You have a pulpit voice. Uh, It's a professional thing. And I remember people sort of pat you approvingly on the back after you've been in harness for a couple. You might get it with I don't know examinations, but they say oh yes you've got your pulpit voice, and it's the you know, your formal voice that you use for preaching. Yeah. I imagine, you know, Bedside manner must be like Well, that, we don't actually. have to
1: deal with an echoey an echoey sort of cavernous room very no, often, do we? Where you have to enunciate but, and deliver.
3: But you do have to develop a professional persona. Yes, yeah. 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 I, I
1: definitely I wear a mask, I suppose. I wear a yeah. A, a, the a, it, a yeah. character, <laughs> yes, yeah. and gown, and, a gown.
2: Character masks. and gown, and gown. Like no, no,
1: no. But you know yeah, what I mean. I sort of, yeah. You know I, I, I play a part. I, it, I, I wear a mask, too—a gimp mask that I read. No, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's in my poem that I'm going to read you later. Um, right, we must get on, otherwise <laughs> <laughs> we here not want to. Come we're along. So, yeah. look, today's subject. By the way, did you know? So, I'm not, you know. If you haven't heard of Richard Coles, by the way, I mean, he's an he's a Anglican vicar. Um, I'm not going to mention all the other bits that everyone always goes on about. I'm going to go for a slight curveball here, which is that you got your MA studying um, the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. I did. Which probably isn't written by Paul or to the Ephesians. Or an that... epistle. Or an epistle.
3: Yes, my sort of summary of my thesis was not an epistle, not by St Paul and nothing to do with Ephesus. So ve-
1: <laughs> Very useful work then, isn't it, right? It's
3: groundbreaking work. I don't think anyone has ever taken it out of the library where it resides
1: unread. Really? Yeah. I did. Did you? And I've got a surprise it. for you today, oh because I've gosh. analysed your MA. And no, he it's yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Here he is.
1: But I was wondering why you did it, because it's quite heavy on the... Well, is it? This is what I wanted to ask you. It's quite heavy on the... Um, What's the phrase, German phrase for the sort of the rules of the table, house rules on women know their place and servants know your place and men or or is it? Well yeah it is. One of the things I mean it's not by St. Paul, I should say, it's by Mm.
3: I believe a follower of Paul, but it's very much in that tradition. And what they were trying to do was to regulate the early church, which was beginning to emerge. End of the first century, the second century, it was a very fluid and dynamic environment. And one of the things they were trying to do was to kind of set out the house rules, literally house rules, because lots of people were, you know, these were households they were talking about. And they did so within the kind of um, thinking of the time. So Trying to fit in with Roman ideals as well as... Well,
1: it was an interesting, it's interesting. a bit off-topic probably, isn't it? <laughs> it's
3: so off-topic, guys. Yeah, I, I, amazing, I I'm interested, but
1: we're
2: kind of doing get medical chat. All right, I'm okay, sorry. Okay, I'm that's sorry, kind of what we're here for, Christian.
1: It's interesting. All right. Did you read it in the original Greek? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> so my, t- my
3: specialism is, is Koine Greek. Yeah.
1: Oh, my mother, she speaks ancient Greek. And mm. She's a translator. Anyway, right. Moving on. Sorry. Stop willy-waving. We're both, I told you. To I told you we'd Quietly. both willy-wave. Okay. It's a clerical medical thing. It is Come the clerical on. medical Come thing. Come on. The so, topic. So today's topic is Death and dying, and mourning, and grieving. Because I don't think we talk about it enough. And as a doctor, obviously, it's something I deal with a lot. As a vicar, it's something you clearly deal with a lot. And as a person, Alex, which I I believe you are.
2: I am. I am a person. And I will one day die, as we all will. As we all will. So why the hell do we not talk about it? Why don't
1: we talk about it? And the thing I wanted to talk about was, I wanted to look at other cultures' sort of um, ways of dealing with death, which I think is a lot more celebratory. Whereas here... I think we bury our dead, and I don't just mean literally, I sort of mean metaphorically. We'd rather prefer, you know, out of sight, out of mind, let's just, it's an ugly thing Is that, that we rather not think we're
2: British, about. and we're sort of meant to have a stiff upper lip, and we're not meant to show emotion and all of this? Well, I mean,
3: it's a fairly recent development. If you you go back 100 years, or maybe 150 years to Victorian England, people were fabulously au fait with death. Partly because infant mortality meant that everybody was, you know, you lived yes. in big families, and several members of your big family probably wouldn't make it out of infancy or childhood. Yeah. So the Black that crepe was always coming out and lots of the elaborate rituals of mourning. And people's... they would
1: take pictures of the dead, dressed yeah, up. Yeah.
3: Bizarre. Have you seen them? Yes. They're terrifying. i rather want one for myself in the day comes. Do you? I'd love a picture of myself dead or dressed
1: up in my priest's they dress grandma, dead grandma, up in her finery and pose her and photograph her, which seems sort of seems rather wrong. Odd. It I would mean, get yourself on a register these days, I've I suspect. I've heard of death
2: but... masks. I've yes, heard of death masks. Things. Yes. Which, uh, and there is somebody who still does death masks yeah. in uh, Camden, very bizarrely. You can...
3: I mean, it's wonderful. There's a wonderful portrait painter, Daphne Todd, who won the BP Portrait Award a few years ago, who did a, a wonderful portrait of her dead mother. She was with her through her death and then painted this exquisite, por- lovely portrait of her mother, who was, I think,
1: 100 years old, uh, just dead. And it was a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful that thing. That is actually really beautiful and moving, and I, I understand that. I'm sure people would find that odd. And I suppose those are the people that struggle to deal with death. They find it too in your face. Maybe. I think
3: partly it's your guy's fault, actually.
1: You? Yeah. I think, well, I think one of the things we've done is medicalized death.
3: So people used to die at home. Yeah. And there was, there's one, I was playing some Edwardian and Victorian parlour songs the other day. And there you. are some As lovely ones, which are about this sort of loving account of somebody dying at home, surrounded by their loved ones who hold up the cross before their closing eyes. Blah, blah, blah. But what's happened with, with medicine, I think, is that we now tend to die in side rooms. Off wards. Yeah. I'm talking to the kind of people who live in places like the place we live in. Yeah. And that's another thing that's removed it, I think, from people's experience, is that it's become about attempting to solve medical problems. Isn't
1: that not about privacy?
3: Well, it's also about privacy. What I mean is you go away to die. You yeah. go into a hospital and you go into the care of medics. And medics, of course, have their own, as all professions do, have their own ways of doing things. And I think that's, that's changed.
2: Is it. that a way to make it more uh, easier, though, for the person who's dying? Because then they can get pain relief and all the rest of it. So it's sort of, it has medicalised it, but it might be better for I'm them.
3: certainly not complaining about that. No, I think anything which, um, uh, particularly you know, pain relief or the easing of suffering is great. It doesn't always happen, though. Often... Especially where ethical issues become very uh, kind of contested, often I think medicine keeps people alive longer and mm. suffering perhaps longer than they would have done if, for instance, pneumonia had been left untreated. You often come across this,
1: I'm sure. I mean, if you look at if you think of those recent big news stories about the the young the babies in Great Ormond Street, where there's awful I think awful legal battles between the parents mm. and the medical profession about, let's let him go. No, we want to keep him alive. And it's clearly, I think, the parents are struggling to come to terms with the death. The medics, well, I'm biased, but I think are probably making the right call. But it's just sort of, there's a little life stuck in the middle of this that everyone seems to forget about.
3: And it does get very... I've been in situations where I've been called out to someone who was dying in hospital and where there's been this kind of unseemly collision of a crash team who've been called to resuscitate someone who perhaps should not be resuscitated. Mm. And then there's a, a question over the... next of kin, Um, consent is required in order for them to withdraw treatment perhaps so that person can die quietly, they might not want to do that, and then I'm there too and I've got my concerns with the about to be widow or widower too, and all of a sudden you realise that these things are not actually very well handled often. Not at all. Mm.
2: I must say when um, my father died 20 years ago and um, it was quite drawn out towards the end, I was with him uh, for why the did last... did your
1: father die? He ask? had
2: cancer yeah. and then he went into hospital for some routine chemo and ended up getting septicemia. And that sort of finished him off within four days. And he was in and out of consciousness for the last four days. And I was there the whole time. Um, and various my family members were there as well. But towards the end, me and my sister were kind of willing that he went. Because yeah. yeah. we could see he was in pain. And if you love someone, you don't really want them to be in that situation anymore. And that, I was very, very lucky. I feel I was very lucky to have experienced that. Because I knew that I didn't want him to have to go through any more of this. Yeah. Whereas I think lots of people don't get that, that luxury, I suppose, of um, being able to be with their family or relative when they're dying. And I think that's that, that's, that in my grief process, really helped me, I think.
3: That's my father had Parkinson's, and he was symptomatic with that for about 10 years. But the last two years of his life were very tough. He was in nursing care. He wasn't uh, able to do anything, really. And there were a couple of moments when pneumonia came along, and we were sort of hoping that that would be the end of him. Mm. Although, actually, when... It approached, he fought, and the medics did what medics quite properly do, which is um, serve the needs of the patient. But there were moments when I sort of wished they, they didn't, and mm-hmm. you th- you often hear older medics speak of a generation or two before where those matters were kind of not so strictly policed as they are today. But, you know, Harold Shipman hovers like a spectre over that, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he's done a lot of damage. I know that's a crass thing to say, but it, it, I think we're too... Scared to let people die now for fear of being accused of something. Really? Whereas, As
2: in a professional manner, is
3: that yeah. Whereas, I, you know,
1: not that long ago, when I was a junior doctor, we would have a quick discussion and say, "I don't think antibiotics are appropriate for Nana at this stage." You know, I, I you know, and the, most of the time, the family would agree. Whereas now, we would be more nervous about that. You know, I, I think it's well known the sort of the increasing the morphine for pain control. One of the main side effects of morphine is it represses your breathing. And so actually to make them entirely pain-free you probably stop them breathing i.e. you probably kill them. But I you know, it is a good and a pain-free death I would argue. I mean
3: I was involved in that with a friend of mine who died as a consequence of AIDS. In the 80s there were, he was on a morphine drive, he was approaching the end of his life, there was a boost function available on the morphine driver. and we were told in, I thought, quite clear terms to, if there are any signs of distress, to boost. Mm. And I imagine that would have shortened his life, which was ending
1: anyway, but there are no regrets about that. No. it's a, it's a, It's a tricky issue. People don't like talking about it, but that's why I want to talk about it today. What about the whole, I mean, so I've attended a number of funerals, I've attended a, cremation which for me was the most sphincter clenchingly tacky horrible service it was sort of cheap curtains and a conveyor belt and sort of a fake glass window now that was probably more about the building than the service but the whole thing was just it left me very unsatisfied um and I felt we'd done it was actually my grandmother her a real disservice really it was just and then we all sort of rushed off and didn't really want to talk about it I'm not sure that was right And I'm thinking in other cultures, there's this wonderful thing in Caribbean culture um, where they have this tradition of Nine Nights. Have you heard of Nine Nights? There's a play on in London at the moment called Nine Nights. It's fantastic. They have nine nights of wild partying. Um, Nine nights in a row. That's it's even hardcore for you right isn't it God, i haven't had one night of partying <laughs> since 1984 <laughs> but you know it's nine nights of wild partying and then on the last night and i love this bit they rearrange all the furniture in the house to confuse the spirit so it wanders by accident out of the front door and onwards to whatever right. comes next and i just love that i think that that appeals to me now i'm not i'm not religious but but i just as a way of sort of dealing with the death and the grief and everything, yeah. it appeals. Whereas we have a sort of rather gloomy hour in a church or oh, in a tacky... I, I
2: don't know, my dad's uh, uh, wake was quite raucous. Well, then there's
1: the wakes. Tell me about yeah. your dad's wake.
2: Well, my dad was a jazz musician and um, he was larger than life. And he died at 56, which I think means that he had a lot of friends that were still sort of living and still could party. And so, yeah, it just got... And they did? Yeah, 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 we all ended up in the pub. It was all very messy towards the end. I don't really remember the end of it, but it was great. But it was very weird because there was a bloke there that looked like my dad, and me and my sister kept going, whoa, whoa, <laughs> it's not him. It was all very... But that that also, that period, I was talking to you before about this, there's a period between the death and then the funeral and that week you think is going to be all crying and and torture but actually it's one of the most bizarre Ooh. and brilliant weeks in a bizarre way i'd like to go back and have that week again without the death at the end of why? it you know Explain. the death. why
1: is it because brilliant because i think week? you're
2: so heightened so you're sort of you're you're sad one minute and you're with your absolute immediate family and you go into this little cocoon sort of thing and so it was me my mum and my sister and we just sort of like did. We shifted round like together all the time. But we just have these moments of absolute hilarity. I think because you're raw, so yeah,
0: yeah. you are
2: either weeping or you are screaming having with laughter. you're screaming with laughter, like like wetting yourself because you're laughing so much. So I think it was one of those just bizarre weeks that I have not had again. You know, since. And a good,
3: you know, we have an expression in the church of the bonamours, which sounds like something from Julian and Sandy, but actually it means the good death and that there are way. I mean, there are different things to distinguish. There's death, the process. There's dealing with death, which is partly waste disposal, which is why municipal crematoria sometimes lack poetry, I think. Mm. And then there's also the mourning, and that's something else too, and the celebration of a life. And often I think a death goes off like a depth charge, and it brings to the surface stuff that's perhaps been undealt with mm. for years and years. And that can be good and it can be bad, but it's intense. And then we smother it because we're British
1: with bureaucracy. So much admin when somebody dies.
2: So much admin. Well, that's
1: yeah. what I, where I was wondering you were going with that week, Alex, because there's this lovely line in Victoria Wood, I think, when it's like, right, 42 baps, Connie, you slice our <laughs> spread. You know, <laughs> preparing for the funeral. And you think, yeah, that's kind of, let's just do anything but think about what's actually happening. It's how many... You know, yeah, there's a lot of
2: admin. There was
1: a lot of admin so to do. So much admin. Is yeah. that good? Did you find well, that a good distraction? Well, or, I, think or? It's,
2: I think it delays everything, doesn't it? So is that a good thing or not? Because when everybody's gone home and all your relatives aren't there and you going back to work, that's probably when you're going to have your little breakdown and and yeah. be gutted and, and crying on the tube on your way home. That, Well, that was in my case.
3: It's anyway. really different. I mean, People don't die Absolutely. in the same way. I mean, you've seen people die. People don't die according to plan in all no, sorts of different ways. No. Sometimes even faintly comic sort of ways, which are you... very
1: inconsiderate. People dying <laughs> very they really are. The worst timing ever. But right? also
3: people do, there's a kind of industry now around how to be a good griever. And actually, there are no rules about yeah. grief. That's the whole point in a way. It's something that has happened to you. You have no control over it. And you ride that as best you can. And sometimes it kind of takes you to all sorts of weird places. Never, you must say, the, never, ever, ever be short, short-tempered or impatient with somebody in a hospital car park because
0: it might be the worst day of their life. Oh, God. That's a very, very good point. Very, very
1: good point. Yeah.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online.
2: I suppose you two, though, are having to deal with death on a professional level, which is, you know, I've only got experience from it on a very personal level, but you two are dealing with it all the time, and you're dealing with it with strangers and having to be sympathetic. I mean, how do you
1: deal with that? We're always taught this rubbish at medical school, and I suspect you're probably taught the same thing, which is don't take your work home with you. And I always took issue with that, because I think if you're not moved by someone's sadness, and you don't sort of, not literally carry it for them, but perhaps alongside them or with them, I don't think you should be doing that job. But surely
2: you have to both
1: bulletproof yourselves because you're having
2: to deal with it on a regular basis. I think a professional
1: detachment is
3: necessary. I mean, I would imagine it would be very hard for you to, you don't want to sort of, cannulate someone through tears, do you? No. That would be bad. No, And also with me, I know that often when people, when somebody, they're all in shock and what they really want is somebody who knows what they're doing. To lead them. I'm sure that's true for medics as well,
1: isn't it? They want to feel that you know what you're doing. It just Mm -hmm. gives them some sort of But I think they also want to feel that you appreciate what they're going through. And it's not just that white-coated stethoscope round the shoulders, detached, clinical approach either. I, uh, well, that's not my approach anyway.
3: I find it, I find it sort of sneaks up on you. I'm, I'm normally pretty good at funerals and things, and it's because I've been where I am now. I've been there for nine years, so I know people well, and so I'm now burying people who I've known for a long time and love deeply, mm. and it's you know, I have a job to do, and normally that's fine, but there's little... There was one I did a while ago, and it was a woman who'd worked at Asda, and she died of breast cancer. She was in her 50s, and it was horrible. And um, the funeral at the, they had an honour guard of all the ladies from Astor who came in all their Asda fleeces. And there was something about that that just yeah. pierced me. And yeah. uh, I had to sort of take three deep breaths behind an angled
1: buttress of the 14th century before I could continue. Well, what better way to take a deep breath, eh? Um, do you think we go about... This is a contentious question, and I appreciate you may find... You know, you're happy to answer anything, usually. Do you think we go about funerals the right way in this country? Oh, gosh.
3: I mean, again, you can get it right, you can get it wrong, you can sort of get it approximately somewhere in the middle. I think a lot to do with the expectation. I mean, quite often what people have now, because we're so bad at death, because we've exported death beyond the margins of our awareness or beyond the margins of experience, I think the thing that's hardest for me is often people think, I want it to be a celebration of X's life. Mm. And we don't want any dark colours. We want it to be joyful. Mm. And actually, it's not joyful. There may be joy in it, but you're there to say farewell to someone who is never going to walk through the door again. Mm. And so sometimes people set this up in a way that, you know, they want to laugh and you can laugh, but they don't manage to reflect. a bit forced, does it? The reality of that, which is that this is also deeply troubling and sad. And it is good to grieve because you need to do that because someone you love has suddenly become subtracted from their life in your world. And that needs marking.
2: Do you think then uh, we should be looking at a different way of doing it? You know, that we have a burial, but then we think about it maybe six months down the line and we have a memorial. I mean, it only ever seems that people who have memorials are famous or rich or, you know, it's not a normal person that has a memorial. But is that something we should be possibly looking at, changing it? What would be your ideal?
3: Well, I I quite like that, that actually. I, I think there's a sort of... I mean, if I'm going to do this for my own funeral, which is going to be distinguished by being the only funeral at which a ring cycle has played in its entirety... I mean, I was going to ask, have you, have you planned yours? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess, my. yes.
1: <laughs> I've planned mine. Have you planned yours? Yeah, soon? i, I know what mine. song I want. Oh, oh really? I've not mm. all mine planned out. Mm. Mm. I, is that just ego, though? Or is that Maybe forward thinking? Maybe a tiny thinking? little smidge of do you think? Ego? A but bit I, bit I think bit. it's actually helpful. Because you don't want to die without your... Uh, I wouldn't want to get the songs that I wanted. That would really You know, great story, up, true
3: story. Eric Blom, the great music critic, great Mozart scholar... And uh, scholar of Bach, indeed. At his funeral, he was dying. And they asked what music he wanted. He said he wanted a Bach chorale, perfectly suitable. But the message got garbled, and so at his memorial service, the orchestra played Bach chorale from the Tales oh, of Hoffmann. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: wrong. is there a more overdone piece? Um, no, I interrupted you. What were we talking about? We were talking about
2: memorial. Yeah, whether you light. think that, that it's better maybe a little bit away from the fact of the immediate It death. depends on that. We
3: um, did a funeral. We, we uh, When I was at Knightsbridge, we did Alexander McQueen's funeral, Lee McQueen. I knew him in life. And uh, I was at that funeral. Oh, uh, were you? I was. Well, you remember that was so... It was very common because Lee had his own life. You know, he was a working-class Londoner with a working-class London family. Mm. He had his public life, which was fashion and glamour. He had his business life, which was Gucci. So there were all sorts of interests that were seeking reconciliation. So you kind of do it by degrees. So you had... Um, the body came into coff- into church the night before, before the paparazzi were there. So anybody just wanted to spend some time with him, we could do that. Locked in church overnight. In the morning, a big funeral. Paparazzi rented all the houses in the street opposite. Took mm. lots of pictures. Lots of famous people came, but it was nonetheless it was a funeral. And then there was a memorial service. I think I think it's St Paul's Cathedral, mm. uh, which was the kind of big splurgy one. Mm-hmm. But those three ways of saying goodbye, I hope, allowed for everyone, no matter what relation they were or angle they were, to Lee, to feel that they were able to do so.
2: Do you think different religions have a better handle on it. I remember when dad died there was a part of us that kept saying I wish we were Jewish because we <laughs> yeah. just thought we could get this over and done with really quickly and then we could get on with and everyone could look after us and bring us some meals and then we could get on with it after that. So Remina, then...
1: in Jewish traditions they, they have immediate. to get the body, the body buried quickly. 24, much, 24 hours. hours. But then they do Like sit. In, in Muslim Yeah, same, but they, they do sit
3: vigil for seven days if you're going to do it properly and then of course there's the art site which is, I mean the Jews are actually really good on funeral stuff. But, I mean, because religions that have their origin and involve their laws in hot countries, yes. there are obviously practical reasons mm. why you don't wait around for a burial. Um, the thing I like about Judaism is that it's not completely hung up on the afterlife in a way that Christianity and Islam are. These I'm painting in broad brushstrokes here. Are, yeah. But there's a sort of hard-minded pra- pragmatism about it, which I quite mm. like. And the sort of fears of death, judgment, heaven and hell, which afflict those of us in other traditions, are not really that
1: not parallel i think as i understand it in jewish faith they i a good funeral too no i think psychologically and you don't have to comment on that i'm not sure if sort of current christian beliefs are actually that good psychologically for facing death because there are a lot of a lot of pressure put on you yes. isn't there? really yeah. whereas perhaps in judaism you maybe don't fear death quite so much for those reasons
3: death can i mean death can be i think the thing you notice about death one is about being a deathbed, you know this much more than i because we tend to hand over as it were i sort of do my most of my thing when you stop doing most of your thing yeah, yeah. but but I, I do think that when you see somebody die and they die in all sorts of different ways there's not one way of doing it but quite often you see the body as an organism fighting uh, it's doing what it can to sustain its existence. And that can sometimes be quite distressing to mm. see. Mm. And uh, it, you might read that as someone kind of struggling, not going gently into that good night.
1: Others seem to slip away quite peacefully. But you never really know, do you? No. Until There's a very, you know, it's about 4 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning is hospital yeah. dying time. That's the classic thing. I mean, one thing I like, when I was sort of preparing for this podcast, I was looking at... So in Ghana, you know, they love a a really garish coffin. So you get sort of Coca Cola bottles or or cars or or, or one chap who, who was a heavy smoker was buried in a large packet of cigarettes. Yeah. Which I think has a rather sweet irony to it that I quite like. I mean I think here we'd consider that distasteful and tacky, wouldn't we? You know, in our in our sort of prudish British way. I think right. kind of rituals evolve, and
3: I suppose the sort of standard funeral in this country is still a sort of throwback to Victorian pomp and solemnity. So, you know, glossy hearses and funeral directors. Black and horses hats, with plumes and... And... It happened to me the other day. What? I was doing a funeral, a very trad funeral in my parish. And What's we... a trad funeral? A traditional funeral, all the thing. And I was dressed, we'd gone up to the cemetery to bury, and I was walking back down to church, and I was wearing full kit and a beretta, and a cloak and everything. And I thought, what happens? A van went past, white van bloated down. He went, oi, fucking Dumbledore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. With a load of mourners, Fine, you, clearly wearing black. No, are I was on my own. At that oh, day. all right, all right. Yeah. Did you quite like that? Well,
3: I was trying to desperately think of a witty riposte, but it'd gone by before I could. Yeah. But it was um... the thought of it that night, won't you? But you know, the, I suppose the point is, is that what makes ritual sense for one person might look completely ridiculous to somebody else. And in an increasingly kind of complex, multicultural world, how you find one thing that works for everybody? I don't know. And isn't the, the exciting thing is? It's the one thing we will all share. Yeah, We yeah.
1: will all, no matter great how small where we come from, size, colour, creed, whatever, we will all it's happen. reach that point. Yeah, yeah it's going to happen. I'm, I'm thinking, we, you know, we live in a society that's more and more about control and now, 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 and, you know, everything, everything's on your phone or, your, you know, you've got your Netflix binge of a whole series, you don't have to wait. But death is, we still can't. Yeah. Nor, I think, will we ever be able to, you know. And I, I find, I, I interviewed someone who uh, was paying to have his head cryogenically frozen. Good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, in the hope that one day it would come back. And I just thought, yeah, nuts. I right. think people sometimes look at Christianity with us talk of
3: resurrection and a life after this life. And imagine that that's the sort of trick that we offer. But no one's saying you dodge death, you see. You're not excused death. You've got to go through that in order to get to what we believe is on the other side. But there's no dodging it.
1: No, it's true. So do we deal with it in the right way? So, uh, you know, we don't really talk to our children about it. We make these sort of rather sort of velvety euphemisms for where the goldfish has gone or something. The rainbow bridge. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it makes my buttocks clench with discomfort um, and not in a good way. It's sort of, how should we do it, do you think? And I want, this is the advice bit, really. It's I want to talk about dealing with grief, but also talking to children things about death. Well, it has to be age-appropriate. It has
3: to be sensitive, but it has to be clear. And I would really try to avoid euphemisms like past or passed away. That's not the kind of thing you flush down a lavatory to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I think the, the, the kind of unspoken message about this is that this is something awkward and difficult. And children in particular I mean, I have a friend, and her father died of liver cancer when she was eight, and nobody told her. He just went away. And when she was 18, 10 years later, she said to her aunt, oh, Where is dad? And the aunt looked excruciatingly embarrassed and eventually said, he's gone to join little Chloe, who was her kitten. And how angry or
1: messed up was she as a result of that? Well,
3: I mean, she dealt with it. But imagine for 10 years, all of a sudden, your father disappears and nobody tells you why. Nothing can be said about it because it's too painful, too
1: difficult. When things are too painful and too difficult, you need to deal with it. So, I, mean, I see it much like sex education, you know, which I always say age appropriate, but make it a normal part of life. Don't pretend it doesn't happen or that the stalk comes. It's a not dissimilar thing. Isn't isn't it's so it? interesting how sex and death are the kind of two great tropes of embarrassment
3: and comedy in English culture, aren't they? We're yeah, so bad at both of them. We're really
1: bad at both of and them. And
3: yet, the funny thing is, I've never seen more people get off with more people than at funerals, <laughs> apart from in nightclubs. Is that I true? I really, it's a commonly observed, but there is something about. Saying goodbye to someone about a life subtracted that makes people want to add another. Have you ever noticed Well, because you don't do funerals. I don't hang out at funerals as much as you do. It is a very common thing. And I think people think, oh, we've lost one. We've got to make up the difference.
1: And then a bit of advice for dealing with you know if you're struggling to come to terms with death I know, i'm sure the church will offer succor in its way and i'm sure the psychotherapists will but what what on a sort of more personal level would you would you advise people to how to go about it that's a very difficult question but
3: well i think it's really helpful if you can find someone to talk it over with and you will find chaplains of whatever persuasion who are you know could speak about that stuff with knowledge and experience and sympathy and familiarity i have to say doctors are pretty good at it too i've been involved in hospices a lot and i think the place where our two professions work together very well is in palliative care and the care that people get medical and spiritual or moral whatever it might be um is exemplary often in those places and that might be a very good place to to go for help and support
1: Richard, thank you so much. I mean, I took great comfort and probably did tickle my own ego a bit writing my own funeral thing, exactly what I wanted. My partner, he's a Catholic and that's why he won't talk about it, you know, absolutely will not go there, whereas I've got the whole thing planned out, even book the singers and everything. Richard, thank you so much for joining us and talking about this subject. You were fantastic as always. That's about it for this episode of Second Opinion oodles of thanks as always to alex and especially for my special guest the reverend richard coles for being so entertaining and thought-provoking here today in the studio don't forget you can get in touch with us by emailing surgery at the or you can message me on twitter at dr christian if you like what you've heard then please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star rating thanks for listening and we'll see you next time goodbye